Welcome to River of Life, and thank you for listening to this teaching today. If you enjoy this teaching, we want to encourage you to share it with a family member or friend. Also, visit River of Life this Wednesday night at 7 p.m. in Crawfordville. For service times and directions, visit rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. All right, if you got your Bibles and you want to follow along tonight, we're going to be in Romans chapter 10. Uh, we're going to be looking at three verses, verses 13 through 15. Romans chapter 10, uh, verses 13 through 15. Uh, the title is, Everyone is Saved Through Someone Preaching. Everyone is saved through someone uh, preaching. Let's read our verses. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, we really have, these are some uh, amazing verses. They've always been some of my favorite verses, and I think it's just an incredible passage of Scripture. And it's incredible for several reasons. First of all, uh, unlike any other place in the Bible, these verses outline the steps that it takes to be saved, or the process of salvation, if you will. Obviously, the Bible talks about salvation, but nowhere else does it actually go through the steps like it does here in this uh, passage. This is relevant for us because if you've been saved, this verse tells you how you got saved. If you're praying for someone to be saved or desiring for somebody to be saved, these passages tell us how that person is going to be saved. And more than anything, one of the most beautiful things about this, you know, we just came out of Romans chapter 9, and just a couple weeks ago I encouraged you guys to... To, to ask God in faith, pray for God to save someone because He has the right and the power to do it, right? He is a sovereign God. But tonight, in just a beautiful balance in chapter 10, we learn how we, you and I, can be the means to answer that prayer. We can actually be involved in that, and we'll talk about that as we go through. Now, let's just jump right in. And Paul begins the whole process by spelling out the steps of salvation that applies to everyone. So the first thing I want you to do is I want you to meet everyone. This is everyone. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all, at, at some point in our life, are lost. We are cursed. We are cut off from Christ. We are under the wrath of God. We are enemies of God. Whatever term you want to look at it. And we all need salvation. We need to be Say, and the question is, how do we get there? How do we go from being in the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light? How do we go from being enemies of Christ to being uh, brothers and sisters in Christ in the family of God? How do we get to that? Paul lays out five steps that have to be taken. And that is calling, believing, hearing, preaching, and sending. Those are the five steps of salvation or five steps in the process of salvation. Now, we could take these in two different ways. We could start at the bottom and go sending, uh, preaching, hearing, believing, and calling. But we're going to start in the same. We're just going to take them in the order they come tonight. 
in Paul, in the way Paul handles them in, in his order that they fall in tonight's passage. So let's start with the very last one, which is calling. Romans ten thirteen, Paul says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I'm going to ask and answer a few questions tonight. And here's the first one. Why does Paul make calling different from believing? Why is calling an extra step, if you will, that you have to do above and beyond believing? Isn't believing enough? The answer to that is no, it's not. It's not enough to just believe. James 2.19 says this, you believe there's one God, you do good. But even the devils believe that. Even the demons believe that. You see, often in the Bible, we'll see this idea of belief being combined with something that has to come out of our mouth. For example, Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. The idea is that, yes, we have to believe in our heart, but there's something we have to do with our mouth. We have to call on his name. We have to confess his name. There's a great story in the Bible that shows this. By the way, Romans 10.10 goes on and says the same thing. For with the heart one believes, and with the mouth one confesses. It's always a combination of the two. Just belief alone just doesn't cut it. True faith, and this is why, true faith always expresses itself by calling on the Lord. Or let's put it another way, calling on the Lord is the fruit of true saving faith. Now, there's a great story in the Bible that, it, that, that shows this or illustrates this. And this is the story of Bartimaeus. And you can find this in Mark chapter 10. So the story is told in Mark chapter 10. Jesus is, is leaving out of Jericho. And he's got his disciples around him. There's a big crowd around him. And they're, they're coming out of the city. And, and in those days, around the gates of the city, on the road outside the city, was usually lined with beggars. Now, as most of you know, in those days, there's no social safety net, there's no uh, social security, there's no disability or welfare. If you couldn't work because of some disability, well, you just had to beg. There just was no other option. And so on this road outside the city of Jericho was a beggar by the name of Bartimaeus, and Bartimaeus was blind. And he's sitting there, and he hears this big commotion. And they're coming out, and I'm sure he heard someone say, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, you know. So, so he knows it's Jesus of Nazareth. Now, I don't, can't tell you everything that Bartimaeus believed about Jesus. But I can tell you two things. Number one, he had certainly heard of this man, Jesus. And he believed deep inside of himself that this man could heal him. So I'm assuming that he's heard that he's healed other people. And he believes he can heal me. Now, how do I know that? Because watch what he says. It says, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to what? Cry out. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You see, the belief inside of him came out of his mouth. Now, if you say to me, well, couldn't he have just believed and just sat there and said nothing? And I would say to you, what kind of belief is that? Right? Right? What, what kind of belief is it if you just sit there and say nothing and you never ask the person to do anything? I think James has a name for that. It's called dead faith. It's called faith without works. You see, the very fact that he believed came out of his mouth because he cried out to the Lord. In fact, the people around him said, man, shut up. 
Be quiet. You're making a fool of yourself. You're being loud. And what does it say? He cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. In fact, it was so loud that, that Jesus heard him. And so Jesus stopped and said, call him over. And they said, man, he's calling you. Get up. Go to him. So he did. The Bible says he sprang up. He comes to Jesus. And Jesus says, man, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said, go your way. You're what? Faith has made you whole. Faith? You see, Jesus saw not only a belief in his heart, but a belief that brought out the fruit of crying out to God. See, that's what this is about. It's not enough to just believe. If you really believe, you're going to call on Jesus. You're going to call on Him as Lord. You're going to call on Him as Savior. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians, this is actually how Paul describes the Christian, describes believers as people, as all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Christians do. They don't just sit there and believe and keep their mouth shut. They call on the name of the Lord, okay? Now, that's the final thing you do. Those that call upon the Lord will be saved. Now, what comes before that? Well, what comes before that, of course, is believing. Let's read Romans 10, 14 again. Paul says this, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How can they call on somebody in whom they have not believed? Believe Now, what is it that we have to believe? Well, the verse answers that question, doesn't it? How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? It's all about believing in Jesus. Now, let me say this. Saving faith is more than just believing in facts, but it can't be less. Let me say that again. Saving faith is more than just believing facts, but it cannot be less. Hebrews eleven six teaches us, it says this, Without faith it is possible to please God, for whoever would draw near to Him must believe first that what? That He exists. You just have to believe that God is real, that He literally is, is he, there is a God. You just have to believe that reality, that fact, but you have to go beyond that, and now you must also believe that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. So believing, not just in facts, it has to be more than facts, but it cannot be less. You see, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fact. It really happened in space and time. My faith isn't based on some myth. It's based on something that happened on this earth in history. It is based on reality. But see, that's not enough. It's just not enough. We said it earlier. Even the devils, even the demons believe that. The demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe He lived a sinless life. They believe He died on a cross, that He was buried with a rich man, that He rose on the third day, He ascended into heaven, He's sitting at the right hand of God, and He's coming again. Demons believe all of that. They believe all of it. And it does them no good whatsoever. Can you imagine being that guy? God has sent somebody to preach the gospel. You hear the gospel, and you literally believe it. See, I believe there's people all over America today that if I pulled them aside in churches and I said, do you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God that died on the cross for your sins? I believe many of them would say, yeah, I believe it. But see, the folks is, the problem is they've never confessed Him. They believe the facts, but they've never called on Him as their Lord and Savior. 
There's no love for Christ in their heart. There's no submission to Him. And folks, listen to me. If you stop there, if you just stop at believing the facts and you never call on Him as Lord of your life, you are not saved. You have to go beyond belief and make Him Lord of your life. You have to call on His name, call on Him as Lord and Savior. Or else you are not saved. So there's calling. Underneath that is believing. And then underneath that is, of course, hearing. Okay? Romans 10, 14. Let's read it again. How then will they call on someone whom they have... How can they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how can they believe in someone of whom they have not heard? How can they believe in someone of whom they have not heard? What do they have to hear about? Well, once again, the verse answers its own question. How are they to believe in Him if they've never heard of Him? They have to hear the message of Jesus. Now, last week I told you that I was going to answer a question tonight. This is the question that always comes up when you study this passage. So I'm going to label this an inconvenient truth. Y'all remember a few years ago, Al Gore made a movie. Y'all remember that called An Inconvenient Truth about climate change. An inconvenient truth is something that he said is true, but nobody wants to hear it. Well, I'm going to tell you an inconvenient truth. I'm going to tell you something that's true, but nobody really wants to hear it. And here's the question. Can people who have never heard of Jesus be saved? Can someone... That some remote tribe that's in, a, in the Amazon or Papua New Guinea or in Africa somewhere that's never, some person that's never heard of Jesus, can they be saved? The answer to that is no. No. They cannot. Now listen, I understand the desire to look for a plan B. I get it. I, I understand the desire to try to find a, an escape hatch somewhere in the Bible. There's got to be some way. But folks, listen to me. There is absolutely nothing in Paul's logic. And there's nothing in the Bible. Now, granted, in the Old Testament, we often say that they were saved by looking forward to what Jesus would do. But since Jesus has come and died on a cross, and Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel... Since that point, there is nothing in the Word, nothing in the New Testament that gives any other option. There is only one way to be saved, and that is to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to call on Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the only way that's laid out in the Bible. In fact, this is exactly Paul's point in these passages because he uses rhetorical questions. Let's read it again. This is, what he's, this is the answer, right? How can they call on Him in whom they have not believed? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is they can't. How are they to believe in someone of whom they've never heard? They can't. It's impossible to believe in somebody if you've never heard of them. How are they to hear if someone doesn't tell them? They can't. That's His whole point. They can't. They can't. They can't. It's absolutely impossible. So Paul's teaching here is extremely clear. Pastor Henry and I was having a conversation this morning about this, that so many times the answers for us in the Bible are really clear. We just have a hard time accepting what it has to say. And Paul's teaching on this is very clear. In order for someone to call on Jesus, 
they have to believe in Jesus. And in order to believe in Jesus, they have to hear about Jesus. They have to hear about his life. They have to hear about his death. They have to hear about his resurrection. Listen, 2,000 years have gone by since Paul wrote this letter and nothing has changed. Romans 1.16, Paul says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the good news, the message of Jesus, for it is the power of God to salvation. What is? The gospel, the message that we proclaim, that we tell people about Jesus. That is the power of salvation. There is no, there is no plan B. Now, God can work in different ways. Several years ago, I started hearing stories about Muslims in the Middle East having dreams. And Jesus was coming to them in these dreams. And I thought, eh, you know, that's, that's a little odd, right? And so I started reading them. I started researching it and looking at some of these testimonies. And one of the things that kept coming up, and at first I didn't believe it, to be quite honest with you. I thought, eh, it's just whatever. It's just people making stuff up. But as I began to read it, I noticed something that was very common in all their dreams. That this man in white, Jesus, an angel, whatever they thought it was, would come to them. But in their dream, this is what he would say. He would say, I want you to go to some place tomorrow at 2 o'clock, talk to this person, and they're going to tell you what to do. They're going to give you a Bible and, and tell you about me. Do you remember the story, I believe it's in Acts chapter 10, uh, where the angel comes to uh, uh, Cornelius. He comes to him in a vision or a dream and he says, hey, send some men to Joppa and grab Peter and he'll tell you what to do. Well, that's what's happening in these dreams. And in all of these dreams, and it actually changed my mind because whoever was coming to them, whether it's Jesus or an angel or whatever, was telling them, go hear the message. You see, Jesus doesn't circumvent his word. He's not going to go around his word. He's laid out a methodology. He's ordained a plan for people to be saved. And it involves the sharing of the gospel. So if he wants to come to somebody in a dream and tell them to go to that person and hear the gospel, that's great. But he's not going to go around his word. It always involves someone preaching, someone sharing the gospel. Now, here's another question that always comes up. In, when we share it, when we preach on this passage or teach on this passage, and that's this. What about the innocent native who's never heard about God? I hear that all the time. What about, what about this guy in the Amazon tribe or this, this lady in Papua New Guinea or whoever the case may be, this, quote, innocent native that's never heard about God? So let me just answer that for you. First of all, there is no such thing. There is no such thing as an innocent native. There is no such thing as an innocent man or an innocent woman. Let me tell you what we've got to stop doing. We've got to stop finding situations in the world and then bringing those situations and trying to make the Bible fit that. What we've got to start doing is reading the Bible and let the Bible set the narrative for us. Let the Bible interpret the situation. So if somebody says, is there any such thing as an innocent native? I go to the Bible and say, well, what does the Bible say about that? And the Bible teaches clearly there is no such thing. And here's why. I'll give you three things. Number one, the Bible teaches that everyone, y'all remember everyone? Everyone knows about God. Everyone knows there is a God. Romans 1.19 says, for what can be known about God is 
plain to them because God has shown it to them. It's plain. It's as plain as the nose on your face. Now, how has God done that? Well, He's done it in two ways. The first way is creation. The first way is creation. Every single one of us instinctively know. Nobody has to teach us. Nobody has to tell us. We instinctively know that we did not come from anything. I'm sorry, from nothing. We know that somebody has designed us, has built us, has created us. Romans 1.20 puts it this way. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been, say it with me, clearly perceived. Clearly perceived in the things that have been made. Listen, if you're riding down the road here in Walker County, and as seems to be happening all over the place, you look over there and there's a house being built. There's not a single one of you that just think, wow, that concrete and that plumbing and the electrical and the hardy board and the shingles, they just all jumped up and assembled itself together. Does anybody think that? No, you look at a house, you instinctively know there's a plumber, there's an electrician, there's a builder, there's a craftsman that are working together and designing and putting that together. If we saw a a painting of that house, there's not a single one of us, a a child knows this. They know that, you don't have to teach them. That that, that paint doesn't just spill over onto onto the canvas and just miraculously come out a picture of a house. We know there's a painter, don't we? Just by looking at it. Why is it that we look at things like houses and paintings and we know there's a creator and a builder and a designer and an architect, but somehow we back up and look at the world and say, well, just happened. That's foolish. That's stupid. We know, every single one of us know that there's a builder, a designer, and a creator. That's the first way that we all know there's a God. The second way is because God has put right and wrong inside of us. See, when you have a sense of right and wrong and your conscience bears you witness, that is a strong indication that there's a judge, that there's a lawgiver that we're one day going to be held accountable to. Romans 2.15 says this, They, talking about those that don't have the written law, show The work of the law is written on their hearts and their conscience bears them witness. See, every single one of us come into this world and and there's a sense inside of us of what's right and what's wrong. You remember the example we used? It was either last week or two weeks ago. You know, evolution tells us that we all have an instinct for self-preservation, right? Just like an animal. Just like animals have an instinct for self-preservation, so do human beings. And evolution just says, well, that's just just the way it is. You know, it's called the herd instinct or whatever. The problem is when we look inside of ourselves, we see something else. You remember the example, the man's walking by the riverbank and he looks out in the rushing water and there's somebody cries out for help. His self-preservation says, don't go in there. But guess what? There's something else inside of him that says, go help. And most times it will actually override the self-preservation instinct. In fact, if you don't go help, it'll tell you you're wrong. Where does that come from? Where does that come from, folks? That's the law of God. That's the law of God written on our heart. I mean, that doesn't come from evolution. That We all should know that. So everyone knows there is a God. And here's the second thing the Bible teaches us. Everyone suppresses that truth. 
everyone suppresses that truth. Romans 1.18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We literally tamp it down. We hide it. We push it back. Now why do we do that? Because we don't want to know. We don't want to know. We don't want somebody telling us what to do. We don't want somebody holding us accountable. We want to live our own lives. We want to live our own lives by our own rules. And we, don't, we want to be the master of our fate, the, the captain of our ship. And we don't want anybody to tell us what to do. That's why. Romans 1, and 22 says this. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they exchanged the glory of God for images. See, this is what we do. We don't want to know the real God, so we just build our own gods in our own image. Gods that lets us, let us live our lives the way we want to live our life. That won't enter, no, the God of no judgment, no condemnation, no wrath. Just, uh, just our, our, our buddy God, if you, if you will. Everyone knows there's a God. The Bible teaches us everyone suppresses that truth. Therefore, everyone is without excuse. Romans 1.20 says it once again. For his invisible attributes have been clearly perceived in the things that have made. So, Paul says, they are without excuse. There is no such thing as an innocent man or an innocent woman. And by the way, what we have to understand, and listen to me closely, right there is our condemnation. That is our condemnation. You see, we're not condemned because we haven't heard about Jesus. We're condemned because we've rejected the rule of God. In John chapter 3, Jesus has a discussion with Nicodemus. And he tells Nicodemus, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. The world is condemned already. You're already condemned because you've rejected the rule of God. I've come to give you a way out. I've come to seek and save that which is lost. I didn't come to condemn. Why? Because you're condemned already. See, that's our condemnation, not because we haven't heard about Jesus. Now, that's an inconvenient truth. It's the truth. It's clear, but it doesn't quite fit what we, we just want that plan B. So what does that mean for us? Well, here's what it means. We need to be someone. You see, everyone needs to hear the gospel. Everyone needs to believe the gospel. Everyone needs to call on the name of the Lord. But who is going to tell them? Who is going to send people to those tribes or those people, places that we can't go? We have to be the someone. See, everyone is saved through someone's preaching. We need to be the someone. See, we proclaim where we can and we sin where we can't go. We proclaim the gospel of Jesus where we can go and we send others to go where we can't go. Let's look at these two final steps. we got calling, believing, hearing, and preaching. Read uh, 10.14 again. How will they call on Him in whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in Him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear unless someone preaches? Now listen, don't get caught up in the word preaching and let it give you images only of pastors and missionaries and evangelists and teachers. The Greek word there is kerasontos. It means to herald or to proclaim. 
The Bible does never teach, the Bible never teaches us that the only people that can proclaim the gospel are people that are called to do it. Now, there are people that are called to be pastors and teachers and missionaries and evangelists. But the Bible says we are all ambassadors of Christ. We are all missionaries. We are all called to share the gospel. We just finished up Romans 9. And if I had asked you coming out of Romans 9, how is your family going to be saved? How about your friends, your co-workers, your, your, your colleagues? Your, uh, how is anybody going to be saved? Coming out of Romans 9, you just said, well, salvation is a, is a work of God. And you would be exactly right. The Bible teaches us it is God who chooses to show mercy. That's Romans 9. It is God who gives the new birth. That's John 1. It is God who can take a dead person, dead corpse, and make them alive. That's Ephesians 2. God does all those things. But how does he show mercy? How does he, uh, how does he give the new birth? How does he make a dead person alive? He's ordained the means, and this is it, by one person telling another person about Jesus. It's that. See, God doesn't go around, you know, save, 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 save. It's not the way he does it. He is ordained that you tell her, that she tells him. One person telling another person about Jesus. That is how people get saved. See, that is a, that's an incredibly beautiful thing. See, don't say to yourself, man, I'm not called. I, I don't think I can say anything. That should never be our attitude. Our attitude should be like Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, it says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who can I send? Who shall go for us? See, who's going to go down the street and talk to that person on the end of the block? Who, who's going to walk down the hall to that office and tell that, that lady down there that needs the Lord? Who's going to cross the school or cross the playground or cross the ball field and talk to that person on the other side? Isaiah said, I'll go. Send me. See, that's what we've got to do, folks. We've got to do that. We've got to have the same attitude. Listen, if your friend, if your family, if your coworker is going to be saved, there's only one way. They have to hear the gospel. They have to, you cannot sit back and just think, well, somebody will take care of it. No, no, you need to take care of it. I need to take care of it. We need boldness. We need boldness. Listen, I'm, time is short. Time is short. And I'll tell you why I say that here in just a minute. See, here's the thing. Will you be the means... To answer someone's prayer. Can you imagine somewhere tonight. There's a mother praying for a son. Or a daughter. Or a brother. And she's asking God. God save him. Choose him. Save him. Show mercy to him. And God says okay. You go tell her. And you go share the gospel. And God uses your sharing the gospel. To answer that mother's prayer. What an honor. What a privilege. That we get to participate in the sovereign acts of God. It is an unbelievable thing that he allows us to do. Let's get down to the bottom. we got calling, believing, hearing, preaching. And then finally, we have sending. Romans 10, 15. How are they to preach unless they are sent?
As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who breach good news. And he's, he's quoting there Isaiah 52, 7. Here's the question. Somebody's sending. Sending, of course, is a verb. Who's doing the sending here? Well, let me always say this. First and foremost, it's God. I don't care if it's someone, if someone sharing the gospel on the next house or somebody sharing gospel in the next country. Nobody shares the gospel on their own. Nobody just on their own initiates and says, I'm going to go share the gospel. That's always God. God is doing the sending. Jeremiah 7.25 says, Since the day your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have sent to you my servants, the prophets daily rising up early and sending them. Whenever a prophet, whenever an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher or a missionary or a neighbor goes out, it's always God primarily doing the sending. But again, God works through who? Works through us. Somebody has to be the means of doing the sending. And that is our role as individuals. And that is our role as a church. Acts 13, 2 through 4 says this. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after praying and uh, fasting and praying, they, talking about the church, laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. There you have it. God sins, we sin. We sin, God sins. God is sending them primarily, but we are the secondary agent in that sending. How do we send them? What do we do? 1 Corinthians 9, 14. In the same way, the Lord commands that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. By the gospel. In other words, we should support them financially. We should support them emotionally. We should support them, obviously, with prayer. But one of the ways we do that is through our giving. And that is exactly what we do here at River of Life Church. I wanted to give you a few examples tonight. This is uh, Pastor Asimbe. And if you want some more information about any of these, you can talk to Paul. Uh, Paul's in, in constant contact with, uh, with these men. He's in Kenya. By the way, that is a picture of his new church that he has built. I don't know how much of it has been built, but we provided the funds for that building. River of Life did that. This is Pastor Akram in Pakistan. We support him. You don't know if you can see the sign on the bus. It says Bibles donated by River of Life Church. So Bibles are being distributed in Pakistan by this church, by the money that you give in your tithes and your offerings. You need to understand when you write that check, Yes, we're buying toilet paper. Yes, we're putting light bulbs. Yes, we're doing, we're taking care. But there is money being set aside to go to missions, to spread the gospel in places that you and I will never be able to go. Because that is what we are called to do. And you need to understand that. Okay? We got Chaco Thomas, uh, who we've supported uh, Chaco for years and years. He's got uh, ministries in Mexico and Cuba and India. We support Angel in Colombia, Billy Banks uh, with his ministry in Africa. Even here locally, there's a, there's a man by the name of Emmanuel Sargent who has started a church in Thomasville. And um, he needed sound equipment. And we took all the sound equipment that we took out of this building and we gave it to him at no cost. And he put it all in this new church. It's a church in a low-income area. Just a few weeks ago, we sent him $1,000. 
Chuck was telling me a while ago, he called, he said, man, I noticed you wrote this check out to me. Is this for me or the church? Chuck said, do whatever you need to do with it. We don't want you to be under stress financially. You're trying to start this ministry. Use it however you see fit. We support Brother Bill when he goes out on the road as an evangelist. We support Keith Collins in North Carolina. We support uh, John and Norma uh, doing the crosses. I know many of you know exactly what that is. Radical Restoration Ministry here in Florida. The Women's Pregnancy Center. We support them on a monthly. We don't just preach against abortion. We do something about it. See, that's what we have to do. Pastor Henry said it Sunday, stood right here, and I said it the week before. If all we're doing is listening to the Word, and we're not experiencing the Word in our life, you are wasting your time. It can't just be learn, learn, learn. It's got to become part of who you are. It's got to show itself out in your life. It's got to become that epiphany. You got to under, it's got to be experienced. So I wanted you to know that, you know, it's so easy to come and, and say, write a check, but your money is going places. It is supporting the gospel around this, this, this county. It's supporting the gospel in this state. It's supporting the gospel around the world. Listen, there's a lot of work to be done. I, there's, a, there's a wonderful, and I'll show you this website here in just a minute. There's an organization out there called the Joshua Project. And they track the unreached people groups of this world. An unreached people group is a group of people that have less than 2% of their population is Christian. If, if less than 2% of your population is, 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 is Christian, then you can't propagate Christianity. Does that make sense? You, ha you need somebody to come in and help you. 42% of the world is still considered unreached people. 42%. There's not enough Christians out there to build churches and, and, and pastor people and mentor people and disciple people. So there is still a lot of work to do. If you're interested, it's called joshuaproject.net. It's a really cool organization. They, they show you pictures of all the people groups. They give you the details about them. They have a mobile app. You can put it on your phone every day. There's a new people group that you can pray for. You can become actively involved. Calling. How can they be saved? They call. How can they call on someone whom they hadn't believed? How can they believe in someone if they haven't even heard of him? How can they hear unless somebody tells them? And how can somebody tell them if they are not sent? Hey, I want to do two things tonight before we close. The first one is as many as you can, I want you to come up to the altar and we are going to pray for our missionaries. I know that they're praying for us and we are going to we're just going to take some time here tonight and we are going. So if you can, come on up, get out of your seat. We're going to get you get your blood flowing a little bit. And we're just going to spend if you can't come, that's perfectly fine. Stay where you are. If you're not comfortable or just unable to, that's OK. But we're going to spend some time praying for our uh, for our missionaries. And then we got one more thing we're going to pray for before we, uh, before we leave. Paul, where'd you go? Why don't you come pray, man? I know that's, this is your heart. I don't have a mic or nothing, but we can hear you. Oh, hold on. Here comes Chuck.
like support them uh, by writing them letters or, or messaging them on Facebook. They're all you can do that very easily. Paul's got all that information. All you got to do is ask him, and he'll give you their their contact info. Let's pray, Paul. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you humbly now to just say thank you for what we're able to do uh, for those that can't do for themselves with our monies. But more than that, our prayers. All of them ask, you know, need the funding, Lord. But let us remember to keep daily to keep them in our prayers. Some of these people we support are in dangerous, dangerous situations, uh, unlike anything we've ever encountered and are likely to encounter. Um, they can't worship freely, and, and it's a real struggle for them, but they stay strong. Oh, Lord, I just thank you for Pastor Osambi, who built a church in the middle of a COVID lockdown. Dear God, you can do that. You can do way more anything, Father. We thank you that our that our um, our meager provisions are going out to change lives with Bibles and with food and with building supplies, Lord. We just are so humble. We live here in, in luxury compared to these people. Lord, let us always be thankful for what we have and let us always give of, of what we have to those in need. Um, Lord, you know my heart on this, Lord, and I just thank you for a church that's a given church. And that reaches out to the missions fields. There is so much to be done out there. Prick some hearts right now, Lord. Come into some hearts. Lord, right now. Come into some hearts in this room. And with a, a, a just a earning for the missions. Get them on fire for the missions. Lord, we need more missions. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. In the name of Jesus, I pray this humble prayer. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today at River of Life. If this teaching has touched you today, or if you need somebody to pray with you, please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to check out River of Life live this Wednesday at 7 p.m. in Crawfordville. Visit rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions. Mm -hmm.